Sean Dove, Sean Dove, author of I Too Am America. What's your revolution, dear brother? Uh, my revolution is to let our people know that uh, there's no cavalry coming to save the day in our communities, that we are the iconic leaders that we have been waiting for, the curators of the change that we're seeking to see, Brother Charles. And that's been a mission mantra and a revolution mantra of mine for a, a number of years. And uh, folks like to quote it, and but you know, they forget or often leave out uh, the words after the semicolon, which is that we are the curators of the change that we are seeking uh, to see. We are the curators. We are the curators. We are the curators. Can I have your attention for a moment? What's good, Revolution? Welcome to the Western Revolution Show, a show for men and the people who love them where we discuss how men can find and embrace the revolution within themselves. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corporu. What's good, revolutionaries? You know, those are my favorite words, asking you how you've been, what's going on with you. Summertime, summertime. You know, we were hoping for this, you know, hot girl summer, this hot boy summer, uh, all the things, man. But I've been asking you all along, please, please go out and get vaccinated. I feel it is my duty to make sure that this platform is about making sure that we are healthy, that we can protect ourselves, that we can protect our families, that we can protect our communities. So I'm asking you, asking you from the bottom of my heart, please, please take care of yourself. Please go out and get vaccinated. It is our time. We want to make sure that we can continue to proliferate our communities, that we can uplift each other, that we can go back to church, that we can have our barbecues, that we can have our, our beach party. You know, Labor Day is coming up. It's August. I know. Look, don't miss out on summer because you are stubborn. We still got a month to go. I want to make sure that you are enjoying yourselves. You know, I have been having some conversations lately and some of the things that are on my mind about being a black man in this country, waking up, as I say, black and male every day and what it means. And I've been having these conversations with friends and luminaries and colleagues about policy. Listen to what I'm saying, revolutionaries, policy, laws, laws are what dictate behavior. Remember that that we can march and that we can protest, but we also have to make sure that we are advocating, that we are financing, that we are getting behind or even running for office so that we have policies, right? And laws that allow us to thrive in our life. And what we're seeing in our country in some states is that laws are being enacted that are hampering our ability as people to go out and exercise our rights as, let me say this, let me say this loudly, exercise our rights as Americans. Did you hear what I just said, revolutionaries? Exercise our rights as Americans. And I don't often hear that coming from black folks these days, but yes, guess what? <laughs> May 20th, 1971, I was born in the United States of America. That makes me an American. And I wanna make sure that people understand that. So we have to make sure that we understand what policy means to us. We cannot sit back. We cannot sit back and allow policies to be enacted that hamper all Americans from exercising their rights to live out, right? Live out their creed to be American. And so I ask you to make sure that in every election forthcoming, that you are knowledgeable, that you're understanding, that you're going out and voting your beliefs, 
that you're not sitting around just for presidential elections that happen every four years. Those elections that happen at the local level, at the state level, are just as important as my guests will tell you. Policy changes everything. Policy changes funding, right? It makes sure that those people who have not have the ability to thrive have the ability to thrive. So revolutionaries, I'm asking you to make sure that you are going out, that you're educating yourself, that you're talking to your neighbors, that you're getting diverse viewpoints. Please, we are an American public. You have the ability to exercise your right. Don't sit back. Ask yourself, what's my revolution when it comes to my right as an American? And so, look, revolutionaries, you know how much I love this show and how much I love the people that come on this show. And I want to say, I want to say, you know, you know, they talk about fan fanning. We're going to call about, we're going to call it fanning, right? I met this brother a number of years ago, started following Sean Dove and Sean Dove is a household name. Let me, let me say that. And if you don't know that name, you have not been behind the work of what's been going on with boys and men of color for the last 12 years. CEO, now former CEO of the Coalition of Black Male Achievement and author of I Too Am America, Sean Dove joins me today. But as I said, I have been fanning this brother for a long time because when you talk about leadership revolutionaries, when you want to see a beacon and bastion of what leadership looks like, you need to go follow and find out what Sean Dove has been doing for the la- for his lifetime, for his for the the breadth of his work. He has been leading us as black men who have come behind him, showing us the paths and the avenues that mean what it means to show up and lead our people. So first, thank you, Sean Dove, my man, my man, the first BE Modern Man of the Year. Shout out to our good brothers, Frank Brady and our leader, Alfred Edmund Jr., for all the great work that they're doing at Black Enterprise. Dear brother, it is a joy. It is a pleasure. I know we've been trying for a couple of years to get this on the on yeah. the books, but I am happy. Sean Dove, welcome to the What's Your Revolution show. How are you, brother? Uh, brother Charles, I'm just thrilled to be here. And uh, I was like ready just to sit back and just uh, let you continue to shower, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the accolades. And uh, I just uh, truly uh, appreciate it. And uh Grateful to be here. And I know we've been trying to do this for uh, a couple of years now, but, you know, I'm a firm believer in divine order. And like right now is the right time for us to be having this conversation. And uh, I just want to just shout you out because, you know, one of my mission mantras is that, you know, uh, particularly as black people uh, in America uh, and black men, that we have to become masters of our own media and tell our own stories, right? And so much of my work and my life and my ethos uh, uh, over my career has been about that and creating platforms for others to tell their stories. So uh, happy to be here. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Look, let me just go ahead and get out of the way because my revolutionists, they want to know, they want to hear the answer to this question. So Sean Dove, Sean Dove, author of I Too Am America, what's your revolution, dear brother? Wow, wow. Uh, my revolution is to let our people know that uh, there's no cavalry coming to save the day in our communities. 
that we are the iconic leaders that we have been waiting for, the curators of the change that we're seeking to see, Brother Charles. And that's been a mission mantra and a revolution mantra of mine for a, a number of years. And uh, folks like to quote it, and but you know, they forget or often leave out uh, the words after the semicolon, which is that we are the curators of the change that we are seeking uh, to see. And in that, you know, I inherently believe that we have everything that we uh, need already. And our mission as leaders is to curate and, 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 and take. God has told me in this intermission season that I am in, Sean, uh, uh, Negro, don't ask me for one new idea, one, uh, uh, Nary, one new idea. Take everything that I have already downloaded inside of you over the last 58 years and curate that, right? And, you know, I do suffer, Charles, from the uh, shiny new uh, uh, object syndrome, right? Uh, I love starting stuff and what's the startup. And, you know, for me, really practicing, you know, the, uh, and the antidote for my shiny new uh, uh, object syndrome is to uh, polish and perfect uh, what I already have in my hands, right? And so uh, that's where I am uh, right now. And as what I was sharing with you before we, um, you know, began to record, you are catching me in a liminal uh, uh, a season, a betwixt and between season. Uh, after 12 years of leading the campaign for Black Male Achievement, we sunset operations at the end of uh, 2020. Uh, this year, uh, you know, life is in the transition as every sunset is happening on one part of the world, it's sunrising uh, uh, on the other. And I have long had this vision of launching uh, or, or transforming the campaign for Black Male Achievement into the Corporation for Black Male Achievement. And at the time, the vision was for it to be an endowed philanthropic social enterprise to continue fueling this movement of Black Male Achievement and investing in and supporting in leaders and organizations and networks that are advancing this uh, uh, work. Uh, what it has emerged uh, into, it's a, a LLC, uh, and really it's a publishing and consulting firm that uh, curates stories and leadership development engagements uh, that elevates loving, learning, and leading by and for black men and boys. And uh, I am uh, honing in uh, a sweet spot of my work with uh, uh, black men, um, 18 to 25 year olds. Mm, it's a wonderful, wonderful and, pathway there. Not exclusively, but a sweet spot and uh, focusing on the gifts, aspirations, and purposes of uh, uh, that age group. Yeah, Sean, I, I appreciate that, brother, because there's so much. There's so much there. You, you, you've now fed me, <laughs> you know, and you fed my revolution. There's a couple things that I want to unpack with you. Mm -hmm. You talk about one, this curation, right? This being able to curate the life, the the, the stories around us as people. What does that look like when you have the ability now, you know, curators to, you know, I think about curators in, 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 in art galleries or interior designers and all those, when you think about curation, 
But what you're saying right now is that there's so many stories around and, and so many lived experiences of, of, of men of color and black men. But too often those stories are those stories are not curated correctly. What are the stories that we need to actually curate for the larger public to see about us? Right. When we have that opportunity to when we have that opportunity to go into the room and place the artifacts of black men up to curate them, what does that look like for you? Wow, that's a great question, brother. And it's, it's, and it's a process. And I think that the first stage of it is a very personal and private uh, uh, process, right? And, you know, when one thinks about curating, uh, you think of a public uh, exhibitions and you think of museums. And, uh, you know, I have been talking about, you know, traversing the labyrinth within right mm -hmm. and going inside right and so i think it really begins with uh, our own stories and uh what has and have been the stories uh that we have been telling ourselves and i've been doing some work on this as you know i'm writing a book uh that is uh coming out uh this fall uh called i to america on loving and leading black men and boys and you know, during the process of uh, writing the book and uh, it's equal parts, uh, a memoir, uh, my story and following uh, the lives of uh, two young men, uh, uh, Jamari uh, in Detroit and Romero in De uh, uh, Oakland. Uh, it's a historical account, account of the campaign for black male achievement and uh, a manifesto of where do we go from here. But uh, I think that uh, self-awareness, is the uh, only uh, sustainable competitive advantage in anything that you do. So I think the, the, the curation, Charles, begins uh, uh, within. And one example uh, uh, of that, right, and, um, you know, as leaders, sometimes we focus too much uh, looking out the window and, and, and being visionary and casting a vision and not enough time and, and looking in the mirror, right? And having a balance of looking out the window and looking in the mirror. Uh, I think a transformational uh, curation story uh, for me, all my life, uh, I used to tell uh, a Harlem resiliency story. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a story of when I was nine years old and uh, traveled the New York City subways all by myself. Uh, I, lived, I lived in every borough except for Staten Island. And in my formative early years, uh, I spent uh, the week with my godmother uh, on 119th Street and Lenox Avenue in Harlem and the right. weekends with myself, with my mom in the South Bronx. And this was the Christmas of 1971, uh, the Sunday after Christmas. Uh, I wanted to prove and I raised my hand. I said, I want to travel the trains by myself. And I had a mission to go from my mom's house uh, in the Bronx to my godmother's house in Harlem, uh, pick up a package come back home to the Bronx and my mother was going to take me uh, uh, to the movies. Uh, I was nine years old. I had on a fur coat. Uh, my godmother ran numbers uh, with Nikki Barnes's father, Roy Barnes, and one That's of the Nikki hustlers. Barnes. Wow, would, That's a big name. Come through the house. They saw fit to give uh, a big afro, dimpled, curly hair, Sean, a fur coat for uh, a, a Christmas. And, uh, 
So on the way back home, uh, instead of getting on the uptown side, uh, I got on the downtown side. And my return home trip got derailed and turned into, uh, I don't have time to go into the full story, but wound up getting abducted, my fur coat stolen, my life uh, in danger. And for years, you know, 50 years, almost 50 years of my life, I would tell that story as my um, uh, Harlem resiliency story. It wasn't until 57 years old and doing work in therapy, uh, writing the book, that it dawned on me that two things could be true. Yes, that was my Harlem resiliency story because I was amazingly resilient at nine years old and my God guided me and protected me on that day. But it was also trauma. And it wasn't until I admitted that that was a traumatic experience. And I will tell you, brother, I cried more as a 57-year-old than I did as a nine-year-old. And in therapy, beginning to unpack this traumatic experience, right? And uh, unfortunately, and I'm seeing some changes in this, right? Uh, we as black folks uh, normalize or tend to normalize trauma in our lives as just part of the black uh, experience, experience, right? Yes. And so when you talk about curating, it's like, where does the healing begin first within? What is the uh, a story uh, that you want to, uh, authentic story? Uh, Brene Brown has an amazing quote that I love, and she says that owning your story and loving yourself through the process is the bravest thing that you will ever do yes. right yes. and so that when you talk about curation i think it really begins there and then connecting with others and creating spaces of stories that are uh, affirming uh stories that uh, transform our pain into a purpose. And I think when we look at uh, a black male achievement and we uh, look at our relationships and how we traverse this American landscape, I think uh, too often the question to black men is uh, what's wrong with you instead of what happened to Man. you? <laughs> so on. Um you know, I'm 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 trying not to get choked up as you as you um, as you tell this story um, because I have been growing, right? And in that growth, it is how far back do I need to go to see where this trauma exists? Where 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 has the pain come from? And it has been interesting in unpacking that because we don't, let me say this. I have not experienced too often where black men are willing to talk about their trauma openly with other men, with other people, as you said, like you said, uh, you know, and then being, then being oftentimes afraid to go to therapy. 
you know, I want to give a shout out to our brother, Philip Roundtree in, in Philly, yeah. Yeah. you know, who just puts it out on front street every day, right? This brother's doing amazing things talking about mental health, but our, you know, our, our trauma. And like you said, that self-awareness work, my, I guess my question to you, why has that, or why do you perceive, or maybe you don't, why is that so hard for us to talk about that openly with other men? What is what has been that barrier? What do you perceive that barrier that stymies us from doing that? Wow, um, that's the four hundred year barrier, uh, my brother. When we think about the generational grief and trauma that we have, and now as black people, and I'll specifically talk about black men. We are two brothers um, that. Our dignity, our self-respect, uh, our pursuit uh, of happiness from the times that we, since we have been thrown to the shores of uh, uh, this country, um, has been terrorized and derailed and we have been told stories uh, uh, that we are um, not worthy. Right, uh, Brother Thomas uh, Burrell has a great book called Brainwash. Um, and you know, he's a, a, a pioneer figure in the field of uh, uh, advertising. And he says that the most sophisticated uh, marketing campaign ever invented uh, in this country was the campaign that uh, America um, launched to convince us black people that we were inferior, right? So combating that, right? And so all of that uh, forces the mechanism to declare that I am a man and I am worthy, but often in unhealthy and uh, in inauthentic ways, right? And I am so grateful that I have come of age in a generation where it has become increasingly acceptable for me to call Charles and say, I'm struggling, I'm scared, yes. and for me to cry uh, uh, in front of men, right? And, and, and yes, we have a ways to go, but let me tell you a quick story about that. Um, I had separate conversations uh, with my biological father and uh, my late um, father-in-law. Right. And didn't grow up with my uh, biological father. We developed a relationship later on in life. Uh, he and my mom were never married, but then, you know, he 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 married and had a family, but uh, left that family. And he was telling me the story and he used this uh, a term, this phrase. And he said, I felt the walls were closing in on me and I left. And I had a similar conversation with my father-in-law while he was dying from cancer. Mm. And he used the same, it was kind of eerie, you know, chills, uh, 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 goosebumps. He used the same terminology, the walls closing in on me and I left. And I thought about how many times I have felt mm. the walls closing in on me as a husband, as a father, as a leader, and was so grateful that 
I was in spaces where I could get vulnerable with uh, other men and share that. And they could say, you know what? I feel the same way. Yeah. Yes. You know, part of mine, we talk about uh, becoming masters of our own media. Uh, about 15 years ago, I was publishing a newspaper called Proud Papa uh, for African-American dads, you know, about our power, our purpose, and our presence. And it was really about um, not celebrity dads, but lifting up stories of everyday dads that were just doing phenomenal things and telling their truths, telling their uh, uh, stories. And I realized that so many uh, 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 black men in my network, we weren't given blueprints. We weren't given models. uh, And that so many of us uh, were stumbling through the dark as fathers and that there needed to be a space where we were affirmed, right? And so uh, what I've also found is vulnerability begets vulnerability. When uh, one of us as men takes a risk and shares with uh, another brother um, some embarrassing uh, shame, like, you know, uh, you know, shame shared is shame lesson. Pain shared is pain lesson. And you share something with me. I'm like, oh, sh- Charles, is, he, he done went through the same thing that I yeah. went through. And it allows me to uh, 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 share, right? And uh, you mentioned Brother Roundtree. And there are so many that are uh, really carrying this uh, a torch for us to be catalysts of our own healing. Exactly. And, uh, I think that's the most critical thing that we can do. And I'll, uh, uh, I'll take a pause after saying this. Brother Sean Genright uh, from the Bay Area, Dr. Sean Genright uh, from San Francisco State University, an author, and he and his wife uh, run Flourish, Ag- Flourish Agenda. And what he says is that uh, the most, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, uh, formidable act of social justice is self-care. It's self-care. It, it, it is it is self-care. So many things in, in what you just said, but what stands out to me, Brother Dove, is this ability to have a cadre of people that you can open up to. And Brene Brown talks about this, and even she says that you can't be vulnerable with everybody. You know, but when you find your tribe of people to be vulnerable with, and I want to give a shout out to my boy, uh, Dr. Elijah Beatty. Uh, one of my close, close friends, you know, kind of kind of this beacon of what emotional intelligence looks like for me, you know, good friend, my ability to be vulnerable and and open up about my life's work and my life's trauma and my life's emotion. My, also, my boy, Phil, Phil Eccles. Um, but having that and another topic that Brene talks about is, you know, shame. And I think that, you know, and I'll say this from my experiences, that vulnerability, vulnerability sometimes is not there because we feel like we're going to be shamed for our emotions or we're going to be shamed for our feelings. And so we don't talk about that. We don't open up to the trauma that we've experienced. We don't open up to the, the feelings or emotions that we're having. And then, as you know, 
you know, those those emotions and feelings get suppressed and suppressed. And then ultimately those feelings have nowhere to go and they well up into something destructive for us. And so, you know, I just want to give my condolences to the Vaughn family. One of my good frat brothers, Sean Vaughn, uh, went home last week and just want to say prayers and thoughts to his family because we don't know what that brother was going through. And oftentimes we need to proliferate spaces that allow us to get out and to talk. And so what I'm employing my male revolutionaries who are listening and watching today is that get out of, get out of your way. And I know this may be hard, but find the people and find your tribe that will allow you to be authentically yourself. That will listen, listen, listen to you without judgment and without shame. Because what happens is that we feel shame. Shame is deleterious to us, mm. right? Brene Brown talks about shame resistant and shame resilience, right? Shame resistance is the is the worst of the two. When you're resistant, that means that you're avoiding shame. Shame is going to happen. But when you're a shame resilient, right? Understanding that you're putting your vulnerability out there and you're in a safe space that you can be shame resilient. So think about this. And you know, not that this is an advertisement for Brene Brown, but her work is prolific when it comes to the vulnerability that we speak of. And which leads me to this question to you, author, right? You have a story. You've curated this story around I2 America. What was the impetus for the book? And give us a little, you know, give us a little teaser. So I don't want you to give too much so we make sure our revolutionaries go out and buy this book. But Tell us about it. You know, you've been doing the campaign for Black Male Achievement for 12 years. All of a sudden, now you've got the you've got the story. Why put it out now? Wow. So uh, whilst that poetry in motion, I stopped to look for a brother with ways to write a book. A range around me with a story to tell a billion brothers who know all too well about unwritten words that unwillingly die before bred and bound and able to fly. Why do my brother's words wear weights of woe? My ears to the ground, I'm dying to know. We must give our words wings so they can sing a song for all brothers they will bring. The ability to fly, to dream, and to soar is to you, my brothers, these words are for. To give our words a life, we must sit and write our story with tales of what life is like. Do me a favor and set your words free. I need to hear them. Do it for me. And that is the essence of who I am. That is a poem that I wrote in 1988. Wow. Before Beautiful. I went into recovery for uh, my drug addiction. And there is the uh, Gnostic Gospel of St. Thomas that says, there's a, a, a scripture there that says, if you get out of you what's inside of you, it will save you. If you don't get out of you what's inside of you, it will destroy you, right? And so I Tomb America on Loving and Leading Black Men and Boys is um, a uh, culmination of me personifying 
that poem that I 30, you know, more than 31 years ago that I, uh, uh, I wrote. And I thought that, you know, this book would be written a long time ago. Right. But, uh, I think, uh, things needed to happen and I guess I needed to have more, uh, uh, uh to say. And so as I uh, was sharing with you, uh, it is equal parts, uh, a, a memoir and, uh, uh, telling my story, right, and my vulnerable story, right, and pieces of myself that, you know, some people may see Sean Dove as, uh, uh, you know, this public figure, this leader, uh, but sharing uh, my vulnerability, my trauma, uh, and that uh, a story because it is similar to so many stories of black men and boys growing up uh, in, in America. And uh, it has been a journey and an excavation of uh, the soul. And I have had uh, so many midwives uh, on this journey uh, uh, with me, right? Birthing. Birthing, right? And, and, and let me tell you this, right? And this is like for especially men, like uh, you said you just celebrated your 50th? 50-5-0, baby. 5-0. And God, you know, so often we as black men get to our midlife and think that we should have done this, accomplished that, be at a certain point because we are uh, uh, looking at external standards and, and, and John Henryism and, 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 and performative uh, uh, ethos. And I firmly believe that we suffer not from a midlife crisis, we suffer from a midwife crisis mm. as black men, right? That we have some stuff inside of us, some goals, some dreams, some aspirations that we have been trying to push out all by ourselves. Yeah. Wow. And when we talk about <laughs> vulnerability, right? And I tell a story about being in a delivery room for all four of my children and my last born, Caleb, uh, was breached. And no matter how hard my wife Desiree pushed, uh, Caleb was not coming out alone. His twin brother, Cameron, uh, 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 was pushed out. Uh, and nine minutes after Cameron uh, was out, Caleb's vital signs were dropping. They were not ready for a C-section. And the doctor said, I have to go in and pull him out. And I believe that, um, you know, we get to a point, brother, when we have pushed out some dope stuff, we have pushed out and have accomplished and have proven a lot. But the thing that God truly wants us to deliver to this world, we will never push out alone. And we have to get vulnerable and go to a brother and say, Charles, i got something inside of me and I need your help to pull it out. Right. And this imagine this image of how do we as men get comfortable getting in emotional and spiritual stirrups right talk about vulnerability wow. right wow. Talk about vulnerability yes some of us 
and we look at the suicide rates of uh, black men in our age group, right, and across the spectrum, but our age group, uh, because that thing inside of us that is breach, that we are unable to uh, push out alone, we take to the grave, we die, we give up, and some of us don't physically commit suicide, but spiritually and emotionally we do, right? And so uh, part of my revolution, when you talk about what's my revolution, is to really be also um, that man midwife to uh, brothers that uh, uh, have something to deliver and they can't push out alone. So I'm going to just pause here for a second. (laughs) Brother, like... I've been doing this show for four and a half years now, right? Literally, literally what you just said, maybe one of the, and I look, dope fire guest on this show. What you just said is probably one of the most or the most prolific thing for my revolutionaries to hear, you know, and I'm not pausing the show. I'm just saying this, this, this pause, like, because I want people to internalize what you just said. Is that, I mean, and, and right, you, you, you put our masculinity in very feminine perspective, right? Because oftentimes it is our masculinity that gets in the way of us being successful. Those, those traditional archetypes of what it means to be a man get in the way of us. I can do all of this alone. I think about this, you know, people ask me. Well, Charles, how are you doing all that you're doing? You're working at Camelback Ventures, proliferating these, you know, all of these dope black and women of color entrepreneurs, right? You're proliferating what's a revolution. You're running triathlons, taking care of your body, right? You're taking care of your your father and mother. Father has Alzheimer's, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to have a, a, a relationship, all of these different things. That was, how are you doing it? And th- there are times that I'm laying in bed at night, and I'm like, how the hell am I doing all this? That's a lot. It, it's, it's, a, it's a lot. It, it, it's a lot. And the, 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 the diamond that you just gave us, Sean was like, look, if you're going to burst something, right? Nobody goes into the house. A woman does not go into the hospital and have a child alone. There are hands touching her. There are, there are gods from the spiritual to the physical to the metaphysical that are touching her to birth that child. And revolutionaries, what, what, what Brother Dove is saying is that there's something inside of you that the world needs. And I thought about, as you were saying, Les Brown talks about it so proliferally, you know, that as you're lying on your dying bed, you do not want the ghost of your ideas standing around the bed said, you know what? We came to you, only you, because you had the talent to do this. And now we die with you. You do not want revolutionaries to take those ideas to your grave. Mm-hmm. And as brother Dove has done, as he said, as he, as, as he is in this, uh, what's the word that you call it? You're in this intermission of your life as you're right. As you find yourselves in intermissions or find yourselves as you're proliferating and propagating ideas and businesses and ventures, 
be vulnerable enough to ask for the help, right? As this brother said, put yourself, <laughs> put yourself in emotional and vulnerable stirrups so your ideas can be birthed. Wow, that is a smack, right? That is that, that's a cold water. That is a douse of water because you know just the imagery of that for men is like, wait, what? Yeah, what he's man. asking for you to do is to open yourself up and say, I can't do this alone, right? Bootstrapping does not exist in my world. I don't understand what that means. I bootstrap this. Somebody had to give you something, knowledge, time, patience, love, whatever it is. You didn't bootstrap it, revolutionaries. Allow yourself to go into labor, Go into labor with your ideas. Dear brother, I, my heart, look, my heart is full right now. You know, oftentimes I listen to this show afterwards because it's not only my my ministry, it is I am being ministered to. Mm. And so tremendously, tremendously grateful for that. I want to I want to come to this part of the conversation. I want to ask you about this. You have been a luminary. You know, when like I said, when people when you say Sean Dove, you're a household name, particularly in the black community. Sean Dove, Campaign for Black Male Achievement, right? That name is out there. But as, I, as I'm thinking about this younger generation of leaders coming up, what are you saying to them about what it means to be a leader? What skills do you need to have to proliferate your ideas, to impact your community as you have done? What are you saying to them at this point as they're coming up? <sighs> that leadership is an inside job, right? That even today, my biggest challenge and biggest call is not to lead a movement, uh, but to lead myself and to lead my family. Uh, what I am saying is much about what we have talked about so much during this conversation, Charles, it is about self-awareness. You know, what's the proverb, uh, know, thy, know thyself. Um, I am saying to leaders that, you know, you have uh, distinct gifts, you have distinct purpose that you will only discover during some time alone. You will only discover through processing the pain that you have uh, 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 been going through, that you have gone through. And, you know, there are five questions. Like pain is the last one uh, that I ask all leaders to do some journaling with, right? And one, I'm like, being reflective and having a journal uh, is really, uh, I think, uh, important. It is a meditative uh, internal process of leadership, but asking the question about what are you doing about your purpose and understanding um, what that purpose is and how you are manifesting it. Spend some time um, meditating and writing on what are you doing about your power, right? And so much of that is knowing that you have power, right? We give our power away so often because we don't know that we uh, uh, have it. What are we doing with our, what are you doing with your privilege? And that becomes a tricky conversation and question 
as uh, black men, right? And uh, some will default and say, what privilege? I don't have no privilege in this white supremacist society. Uh, uh, you certainly have some privilege. We have privilege uh, with our gender yes. uh, and who we are as black men. There is privilege. We have privilege. And what are we doing uh, uh, with that? What are we doing with our pride? That's the fourth question, right? And uh, that often uh, is uh, a um, difficult one, right? And how is uh, my pride driving how I'm acting and how I am uh, pushing and how I am not being collaborative and how is my pride pushing a performative uh, uh, ethos, right? And the last question uh, that as leaders we need to um, ask ourselves is uh, what are we doing with our pain? Yeah. Right. Uh, and how are we uh, healing and, and being a catalyst for uh, our own uh, uh, healing? And there is something that we are all called to do that no one else can. And I will tell you, it was the summer of 2016. Uh, I just returned from a treat, a retreat uh, at the beloved community center in Greensboro, uh, North Carolina, spending some time with Nelson and Joyce uh, Johnson, the founders of beloved community center, um, having them pour in. Uh, uh, to me, uh, you know, they're like a godmother and godfather in the movement and return home. And uh, in that week, both um, Alton Sterling and Philando Castile yeah, were yeah. Uh, murdered. And for me, you know, we've been seeing this all our lives. I've been seeing all this all my life. And uh, during that week, I was like, you know what, Sean? Racism ain't ending on your lifetime or in your lifetime. Mm. God has blessed you to pour into other leaders. And in your time, whether it's a day, a decade, or another 50 years that you are still here, uh, that's your purpose and that's what you are to do along this uh, a, a continuum. Um, and the why and the purpose is what I would uh, focus leaders on. And I think and it's so, there are so many distractions for uh, this generation of leaders, right? The younger generation of, uh, of leaders and how uh, you're focusing, how you're being intentional. And, and, and uh, you know, I live my life through a lot of acronyms and fit uh, it was one of them, and just recently, over the last 18 months, for a long time, the acronym was FOCUS, Intentionality, and Tenacity. And I said, you know what, Sean? You got to trade in that tenacity, all that tenacity in for just a little bit of trust. Mm. Trust in mm. myself, trust in my process. Uh, and uh, I think the challenge for us uh, and our unity as a people is our uh, reluctancy 
you know, it's often there's good reason and good rationale. <laughs> I know what you're going to trust say. ourselves and to trust, uh, 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 trust each other. Right. And so you're going to make mistakes. Uh, you know, everyone, you know, Muhammad Ali, uh, as you can see around me is, uh, see that, yeah. uh, my first hero and, you know, Muhammad Ali and, Gil Scott Heron and yes. uh, 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 you know uh, Stevie Wonder and artists and 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 you know, folks that uh, have sparked things inside of me. You know the image of him standing over Sonny Liston is an iconic uh, uh, a photograph, right? But there's an image of uh, him being uh, knocked down by Joe Frazier, right? And to me, that's more of an iconic picture because the story behind that in the fight of the century on March 5th, 1971, in the 15th round, and it was Ali's first, well, third fight after uh, returning after three years in exile, fighting the U.S. government uh, for his livelihood. He had every reason and could have easily stayed on that canvas after that left hook, but he got up. Right. And, um, you know, I tell leaders, it's not uh, how far you fall, it's how high uh, you bounce because uh, you're going to you're going to fall. You will be betrayed. Uh, You will uh, 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 stumble. And what has happened to you is really happening for you. And that, like, you know, that takes mm. perspective. And the last thing yeah, I'll say, Charles, I know I, I have a, uh, rambling is an art form of mine. But, uh, <laughs> I love it, um, really. Tell your story. Comparison is a calling killer. <laughs> You're Comparison dropping it. is a calling killer. And it is so easy to fall into that trap, especially with social media. Mm-hmm. And what is this person doing? What is that person doing? Uh, How is that person's book doing? Who's backing that? And, and, and being able to stay focused, right, and have those blinders on uh, is a, a challenging thing. Uh, no matter how young or old you are, right, but comparison is a uh, calling killer. And I will say in this season of maturity, right? Uh, oh my God, you know, uh, at 58, when I was a kid, or even not so, you know, at 24, I thought at 58, you know, I'd be uh, shopping for my rocking chair and getting on cruise control. Brother, I feel like I'm just getting started. Pushing, pushing, push it. Part of my story and where I am is getting to a point where I am relying more on intrinsic and internal validation, self-worth, and affirmation as opposed to external, extrinsic validation and self-worth. Man, let me tell you, look, all those likes mean nothing at the end of the day if you don't like yourself. Let me say it again, revolutionaries. All those likes mean nothing if you don't like yourself. Brother, woo, man, I love doing this. <laughs> I love doing this. Sean, you have just, I mean, given us a masterclass, particularly as, as those five questions that we ask ourselves in leadership. You know, 
And I can't wait for my revolutionaries to internalize that as they as they listen to and watch this show, those five questions of leadership. I just want to say this one thing before we begin to close out, dear brother. You talk about assessing our privilege. And I'm going to stand on my soapbox for a second, uh, just for a second. So allow me. We as black men, yes, we, we, we talk about this vassalization between marginalization and privilege, right? We have to, because as, 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 as black people, we are marginalized. As men, we do have privilege, right? In spaces, right? Now you, you juxtapose the two, you intersect the two being black male, you, you're vacillating one way, but we have to think about what those intra things, those intra community things where our male privilege stands out. And I've been having these conversations with some of my close friends, dear brother, and and somehow somehow they're thinking that black and any other identity, right, are separated, and that and and that bothers me. That 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 bothers me, and having conversations where, you know, well, why do I have to see people in the LGBTQI community? Why do I have to see them on TV, right? Or why do the people, you know, why do people in this community want to equate their their marginalization and oppression to those of black folks? And I'm thinking to myself, dear brother, they are black folks, <laughs> you know, and not being able to, not you, you can't separate identities. We are a whole people, as my good friend Amber Hamilton says. We are fully formed humans, right, with a plethora of identities that mar that vacillate between marginalization and privilege, and depending on the context that we're in. Mm -hmm. We as cisgender black men have to be able to understand our power, as you said in spaces and how do we use that power to uplift our full communities it is our it is our duty to understand that but as you go back to this and i'm bringing it all back that that self-awareness has to happen before you can lead anyone and if you're separating again and this is my opinion if you're separating your racial identity from every other identity you are not you can't lead mm -hmm. anyone you're missing the point. And I love you. I love you. But you are missing the point and you are not leading anyone. And what you sound like is the oppressor. Mm. That is exactly what you sound like. You sound like the oppressor. Well, why do I have to see these black folks on TV? This all black cast, right? Or why are we celebrating black folks, right? I don't want to see this. You know, I want to see my people. But it sounds like you're saying the same thing. You sound like the words of the oppressor. And I'm sorry, I mean, let me get off my soapbox, right? No, no, no. stay on it, brother. Stay on it. <laughs> you know, and so what I'm asking for my brothers is to actually step back and take a look at themselves. If you plan to lead, if you plan to lead your children and our communities, right? Look at the fullness of who we are. Look at the fullness of who you are. We are whole human beings. And as cisgender black men, we have a job to do to exercise our privilege, to use it as a superpower. As we say to the oppressor, we need those right who stand beside us in this racial conversation. We're asking to you to use your privilege as a superpower. Brothers, what I'm asking you to do is to do the work and to use your privilege as a superpower so we can stop oppressing our own people. And, and I will come off from there, dear brother. Sean, it is a pleasure. 
to be able to spend this time with you. Um, I have been in awe of you for years. I have watched and, and tried to pattern my leadership after you. I have been a fervent and ardent supporter of boys and men of color since I was a, a young boy and men of man, young boy of color myself. It has been my life's passion. And to be able to see the work that you have proliferated, right? The amount of impact that you've had in our communities, not only in New York, but across the country, everywhere. I want you to think about and look, take your flowers, dear brother. Take mm. your flowers for the work that you have done impacting millions of young people around this country and being able to be an image of leadership for brothers like myself. I am tremendously grateful for you and your work and for you as a human, because, brother, I see you. I continue to see you and I will continue to watch what you do, not only for myself can say, how can I come behind Sean and proliferate the work, but to see the impact and be able to applaud you. When necessary, dear brother, thank you for all that you do in the world. Look, when the fall comes out, revolutionaries go out and get I too am America. Sean Dove, author, his story, his memoir, but also the campaign for blackmail, campaign for blackmail achievement. Make sure you go out and check it out, brother. Any last words, dear brother? Sure. Um, thank you. This is uh, the first of the last word, and um, I'm a reflection of you. So. Every uh, accolade and honor that you have just afforded me uh, is boomeranging back to you, brother. Uh, my team uh, would get on my case if I did not lift up uh, that pre-orders for my book uh, that I've co-written with Nick Childs, uh, iTunes America on loving and leading black men and boys. You can go to dovesores.com to pre-order uh, uh, the book. Um, but I think the most important thing I want to say, uh, Charles, and uh, again, thank you uh, for just lifting up my work and it's even humbling to hear you say that. But I just got to say that uh, 31 years ago, um, and I, <laughs> I was just showing this picture, uh, the picture of the platform on uh, in Penn Station on 34th Street. And uh, as I was coming towards the end of uh, uh, my drug addiction, right, my run, I had a plan to jump on the tracks and grab the third rail mm. uh, in Penn Station. But there was divine intervention. And uh, God said, it's not your time yet. And all that you just said and lifted up would not, could not have been said if I had jumped on those tracks and grabbed the third rail. There is somebody that's listening that I just want to let that person know that we love you, we need you, that you might be on the edge of your platform. Stop. Bow face and hold on. Ask for help uh, because there's something inside of you that needs to be delivered. And if you give up, it won't. 
be delivered, right? And I just, uh, that was on me uh, 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 to say, right? My wife, my four kids, all of that that I have that's blessing me um, would not have uh, materialized if I jumped on those tracks and grabbed the third rail as I had planned to do. Well, that's powerful. We need to hear that message, brother. Thank you for sharing. Thank you just for feeding us. Can't birth anything without a seed, brother. Mm. Mm. Thank you for seed. Seed grows in the dark. You know, seed grows in the dark, dear revolutionary. (laughs) All right, see, I just got to say this because I wrote this in my journal, right? Uh, Sometimes, you know, in the work that I'm moving forward with, and particularly with young leaders, right? I don't, I don't know, we don't need, we need less logic models, less blueprints and leadership maps. And uh, what we need is compasses, uh, a leadership compass. And that starts with uh, self-awareness and knowing where you are. And I wrote down um, in my journal Sean, you're not stuck. You just planted. Mm. You're not stuck. You just planted. And this is a season for stillness. This is a season when you talk about a seed of being buried and seeds grow in the dark. Seeds take time. And, uh, you know, Galatians 6, 9 uh, encourages us. Uh, to, you know, don't grow weary uh, in doing good uh, for uh, in due season, you shall reap a harvest mm. if you do not quit. Right. Mm. Revolutionaries, you have, you have experienced a masterclass today, a masterclass. And as you sit down and, and take notes on this, you know, I'm anxious to hear how you internalize Brother Dove's words. As you think about how you're birthing your ideas, how you're planting, how you're being rooted. I ask you to think about this as you're as you're questioning your revolutions halfway through the year. As you're thinking about what does your end look like and how do you finish? Right. You seeded this early on. Right. You seeded this revolution early on in this year, early on. You say, I've got to keep going. You're rooted in this right now. You're rooted in this. Keep working, keep watering, keep fertilizing yourself, right? And find your midwife. Find your midwife. Because ultimately, this revolution needs to be birthed, right? It needs to come out. Find the people, find your tribe, find those who are going to help you. Not only when it's birthed, but to help you proliferate it. To make sure that the world knows that it's out there. And we're here to help you and know that we love you. For all my brothers out there, find your space, find your opportunity to open up and be vulnerable. Tell your people what's going on with you. Allow them to listen and listen to them. That vulnerability builds tribes. Tribes build impact. And that's what we need in our world. I'm asking you always, to be able to answer the most prolific question of your life, the most thought-provoking question of your life. What's your revolution? I hope that you're doing well. 
I love you. I miss seeing you. I can't wait to be in space with you. Take care. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next time. We are curious. Hey. Find your mind.